0: Welcome to Weapon of Choice, a podcast where creatives across mediums give us insight into the weaponry of their art. Each episode, you'll be hearing an interview with an artist who uses their art as a weapon of choice for social change and disruption, visibility and justice, cultural critique and resistance, among other things that ignite social consciousness and community action. These artists will tell us about their journeys toward the battles they are fighting, how they design, sharpen, and develop their artistic weaponry to strike a blow against injustice in the world.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Weapon of Choice. My name is Andrew Benda. I'm Tommy Franklin.
0: And here we are. It's summer, uh, well, at least uh, in the Western Hemisphere. It's summer. It's getting hot. And we're excited because, you know, as we trudge along in this administration, there's a lot of artists uh, still connecting the struggles and making beautiful art aclo- across all, all mediums, all disciplines. And we're excited that we're fortunate enough to talk to a lot of these artists uh, coming up here this summer. So stay tuned. Um, we love that you're tuning in. We appreciate you tuning in. And I just want to remind you, if you haven't already, to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, to the Weapon of Choice podcast. If you subscribe, you won't miss the show. You'll get it in your feed, and uh, we'll be uh, rocking and rolling, putting out more episodes, more interviews, and some special episodes as well um, in the coming months. So stay tuned with that. If you're on iTunes, please, please, please rate us and review us. It really helps. Give us that five stars. We really care about that five star. We don't care about the four stars or the three stars or the two stars. (laughs) Give us the five stars, and, and it really Shows us some love and helps us grow if you also leave a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. But you can find us on all platforms, wherever you get your podcasts. SoundCloud, specialmenuproductions.com, all the other apps that you use to listen to podcasts, you know. So we appreciate that.
1: In this episode, we're bringing you an interview with Resma Menekum, who is an international speaker, healer, author, and leadership coach. Resma works with people, communities, and organizations around the world helping them improve their abilities to tap into their individual and communal resilience. Resma's keynotes, workshops, coaching, and individual services have reached thousands of people from hundreds of communities over the years. He brings a rich background of over 28 years of experience in healing, organizing, executive management, leadership, consulting, and coaching. He's also the author of My Grandmother's Hands, Racialized Trauma, and the Pathway to Mending Our Hearts and Bodies. And
0: all the more... This summer's gonna be even hotter because Resma collaborated on a compilation album coming out right here out of the Twin Cities called Dismembered and Unarmed, a sonic imagining of body, love, sorrow, trauma, history, pain, and rebirth. Chalk full of amazing, amazing artists right here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and surrounding putting out good music, good lyrics, good production, good sound, good grooves, the whole nine coming out in a compilation album. I can't wait. I'm just thinking about it, getting so excited. And that album comes out June 15th. You can even pre-order it now. So if you go to Resma.com, that'll take you to the right links to pre-order that album and get excited for the release on June 15th. Resma.com, R-E-S-M-A-A.com.
1: One of the songs from that album, titled Processions, will be featured at the end of this episode. Stay tuned.
0: What do y'all say we get into
2: this interview? Roll it. My name is Rezma Menakem, I am a uh, author, uh, healer, clinical social worker, uh, somatic uh, experiencing practitioner. Uh, I've been doing this work for about 30 years and I uh, specialize in cultural somatics. Awesome. Well, welcome to Weapon of Choice, Resmaa. <laughs> I love that title, brother. I love that title. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's, let's open it up. Yeah. Um, what are your weapons of choice and what battles are you fighting? Mm. Well, so uh, recently my weapon of choice has been writing. Uh, and uh, But it hasn't always been that. Um, I, think, I think the idea of weapons is, is an interesting idea because I believe that the, the, there's a part of me that feels like the black body has been weaponized. And, and and weaponized in ways that have been put on us rather than us crafting the weapon. You know what I mean? And so um, and so the idea of me being kind of a weapon. Uh, this is not I'm not like lethal weapon or something like that. But <laughs> but the, but the idea of me being a weapon. I think there's a part of me that already comes in the planet understanding that the way that the society sees me is as a weapon that needs bigger weapons to control it, right? Um, I think that's why you see um, um, some of the things that we're starting to see now. But I, I want to be clear about, like, you know, um, you know, barbecuing while black and, you know, walking the street while black, walking your dog while black, uh, uh, drinking coffee while black. Those things, we're seeing them now, but those things are part and parcel of America. Right. Having a watchful eye on the black body, the black body is, is relatively new that the black body has had dominion over itself. Think about this for a second. For most of our history, the white body has had total unfettered access to the black body. I mean unfettered every orifice every sensibility every idea the white body has had unfettered access to the black body is relatively new that I can say what you relatively what you can do to my body right um and and that unfettered access was then um uh uh uh, uh you the 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 access was then you uh, institutions were then used to kind of cement that access right so it's not just that the white body had access is that law was then used to cement that access right education was then used to submit that access right um uh, uh science religion were used to cement that access and to use the white the black body as the primary uh its primary mode was to be used as production right that includes the white that includes the black woman's body that includes the black man's body right that includes that their children were modes of production right um and so the white body being the supreme standard by which all bodies humanity shall be measured is the number one rule of America. If you don't understand that everything else will confuse you about America. If you think that it's something else and it well, can we all just get along? No. No, we, we can't. Because we don't even speak the same language. We don't even we don't even experience the same world, right? And because this world is constructed around your white body you don't even have to consider it mm-hmm. I will die my people will die if we don't consider the nuance of of this myth of race mm-hmm. so
0: your new book mm-hmm. your latest book my grandmother's hands is yeah. a call to action for Americans yeah to recognize that racism is not about their head but about the body yeah and I appreciate that deep text beyond a few years ago when Coates was writing about it that I think dissolved into clickbait think pieces and also common utterances of the phrase black bodies, because I was hearing so much, I was hearing so much of that. And I was wondering, yes, about the black mind or the black person. So your work has brought me back to recognizing that we're in such need of the clarity. And things like your book and these collaborative projects. Yeah, brother. So I just want to thank you for that. Thank you, man. Um, and we're gonna get much more into the book. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah.
0: But like, this, let's take it back. That's like, right.
2: Where'd you grow up? What was home for you? So, Milwaukee, brother. Born and raised From in Milwaukee. Mill. Yeah, Milltown. Um, uh, uh, so, so I was born and raised in the east side of Milwaukee. So the neighborhood that I was uh, mostly raised in was mostly black and Puerto Rican. Um, and some poor whites who couldn't afford who couldn't really live anyplace else and then as soon as they got uh, Enough Whatever they needed they moved right over to the south side. They got it got the hell up out of there And so so it was primarily black and Puerto Rican um, from kindergarten all the way up then I ended up going to uh, uh, I was musically inclined so uh, there were no school, high schools or any place or junior highs in my area that were doing that, so I ended up getting bused all the way across town to a place called Bayview High School, and 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 that was like a, the the or Bayview or first it was Shoals, and then um, and that was music and all that different type of stuff. then I, then the theater school, theater high school from that junior high was Bayview High School, and that was kind of like a arts High School was kind of like remind you of Fame, right? Where people that went there, music, uh, um, band, uh, art, dance, theater, that type of stuff. And so I went there, and but but those two experiences, man, was the first time that I was exposed to white people like that, like just like white folks, right? And I remember, man, my mom asking me when I went to shows when I came home, and you know how years later you don't remember stuff, and then all of a sudden something, you, you're at some point, you go, wow, okay, yeah. I see. So when I came home my first day of, of shows, my, my mother goes, she came home from work, and she goes, how was school? And I said, it, w- it was fine, and blah, blah, blah. She said, so tell me about it. And I said, well, you know, this, that, and the other, and da, 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 she said, how was the bus ride? I said, it was fine. She said, and she's asking me all of these questions. And she said, "You have any problems?" I said, "No." Now, when I look back on it, what she was doing was was checking to see was somebody messing with her babies, right? And whether or not been bust all the way over there. And she did that. She did that all the way through, man. You know, you know, like what's going on. And, you know and what are they saying and how are you hearing it and what do you you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and i and what she was saying was that this world is a dangerous place for bodies like yours this just you being you ain't you you you're not like everybody else and when you go to places it is my job to consider things that maybe white parents don't have to consider i have to consider that there might be danger in the tone in the tone or the quality of somebody's voice, in their, in their, in their that that, and I need to hear what you're experiencing with that, right? And so, uh, my mom, man, I, I love my mama. My mom is was bad. She, and black women in general, I think one of the things I always think about is that, you know, when creation decided to create, it decided that its first representation of woman. Or the first representation of humanness was gonna be a black woman. To me, that's deep, man. That the first representation of human on this earth, me and you, was formed through a black woman. And so when I think about who we are as a people and how and and and, and, and then what has happened to us and what we've experienced, I all, I don't start with where we're at right now. I always start with where we came from. We were the first, right? We are descendants from that. Every human being on this earth is a descendant from that mitochondria. Every 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 you know, right? Um, and so for me, uh, the book was really about um, getting us to have some sense of what actually happens to us when trauma occurs what actually how does it get transferred down and that we are not defective right something happened and so often we don't want to look at what happened we just want to say let's move on right let's just right and the fact of the matter is is that we can't move on because um it's still occurring right the stuff the trauma uh that 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 has happened to native people Right, I mean the fact the fact that we can sit up here. I was watching a commercial, uh, a, a television show the other day, and you know people talk about things like, you know, we should be over that or we should move on, blah 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 blah. Then I'm watching this commercial. There's a there's a Mountain Dew commercial, uh, uh, where see see their Mountain Dew. I think it's a Mountain Dew commercial. One of them is it's got uh, Paul George and he's drinking and he goes. ah. He does that whole thing. But well, they got another one where there's these two hockey dudes, right? And they're drinking and a hockey dude rolls up and he said, "What are you doing?" He said, "I'm shh, I'm just drinking my Mountain Dew or whatever it is." And on his shirt, it's a black Hawk. He's got a native a, a native person's caricature on his shirt. Nobody it's like it's like you know yeah, we yeah, that's what it is. We dehumanize people that's and we take their land and we commit judas genocide and we enslave them no big deal right it's about the mountain dew man man. (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. but stuff like that you know um there was an old saying that they used to say uh when they were putting native uh children in um boarding schools is that they would say kill the indian save the man that was an actual phrase right that's the bedrock. Of this country, right? That is not an anomaly. Mm-hmm. That is the bedrock. And so moving on um, is for me. And, and so, it's. And I and sometimes I'm talking and people are like, "Oh, are you militants." Uh, no, it's, this is this is not. Let's just let's let, let, the, the the let's just have a baseline understanding of what we're dealing with here, right? The murdering of of black bodies is a tradition. The murdering, murdering of native bodies, even right now, just two weeks ago, man, the United States uh, 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 invalidated a treaty with the natives. Two weeks ago. And they took their land and it's gonna give it to to drill. Two weeks ago. So uh, I don't even remember what damn question it was, man. I'm hey. sorry. <laughs> uh, when did you decide you're a writer? Ew, that's that, uh, 2010. Not that long ago. Yeah, my, and I didn't even know I was,
3: mm.
2: right? I was talking, a, friend, a good friend of mine, Ariella uh, Tilson, uh, we've been friends for a little while now, and her husband is a, uh, is a, um, He's been in the publishing field for a long time. He's a writer. He's a published. You know, he, he's just a, he's an amazing dude, Scott. And we have been talking and stuff like that. And one day he said, "Man, you got a book in you." And I was like, ah, yeah, da, 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 da. "He said, man, you do da, da 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 da." And so I we talked back and forth. And he said, "No, he said, you need to, you need to, you need to start jotting stuff down. Just jot it down and then right and write up something and send it to me." So, so. I wrote it up, I wrote something up, you know, sat down, you know, like Hemingway, and just for me and the computer and stuff like that, and shot it to him. And he was like, he got it about 15 minutes later, he called me, goes, what the hell is this? And I, said, <laughs> and I said, I said, what you mean? He said, what the hell, you just sent me something. And I said, yeah, that's what I wrote. He goes, you wrote this? I said, yeah. He goes, this, this is not good. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and so I'm hurt and I'm mad. You know, he got me out here all vulnerable you and the stuff. What I told me? That's that. right. Yeah, I'm all hurt, and then and I said, "Well, what?" He he goes, he goes. That's not. This is not you. Mm-hmm. This is not. This is not what I've experienced when I've been around you. I said, "Okay." I said, "Okay," and then he said, "Here's what we're gonna do." I said, "What?" He said, "Come to my house Saturday, and then I'm gonna try something." I said, "Okay." So we, I go over to his house. He sits there. And, and he puts a, 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 a digital recorder down, just sits yeah. the digital recorder down, and he says, yeah, because he's not a therapist, right? So he says, tell me about this, right? And then I did just what I do, did with y'all. I right, just went off. And stuff, blah, blah. He goes, that's you. Mm-hmm. And so he took the digital recorder and gave it to a transcriptionist. Mm-hmm. She transcribed it. She gave it back to us. We edited it. That's my first book. <laughs> mm. That's so that's how I write my books now. I can't write my books by just. I have to. That's why my books feel like I'm talking. Yeah, is because that's what's happening. And then the transcription is writes up. And then we edit and say no. We put this in it. That don't really fit. That was an incomplete thought, right? And then we. And then he writes, and so he can say We'll do this, and uh, let's shift this, and right. It really so, is old school. Yeah, yeah, that's how I do my book. I can't. I could not write my book just by sitting there. I have to write my book by going back and forth, because he's, he's not a therapist, so he'll say, well, what about this? And I'll go, okay, see, here's what this is, right? And that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that's... Mm. So, about 2010, and then... Um, and then... Uh, and then 2011 and 2000 2011 to 2013, I was in Afghanistan. Um, and, uh, and then when I got back, I went through my own trauma stuff, and then ended up... Um, Ended up writing my first book, which was Rock the Boat, um, and then, uh, and then a short while later, when I started coming more out of my own trauma, which was help. It's gonna be so weird. My trauma was helpful in that it, when, when we get traumatized, usually th- many times things get coupled together, right? So it's what I call um, HIP method, right? It's H uh, I P P, and so it stands for historical, intergenerational persistent institutional and then your own personal traumas and and a lot of times all those things get melded together when something traumatic happens to you you're not just dealing with the one thing trauma that happened to you right then you're dealing with all of that that's why i feel so awesome and i don't mean awesome as in good but awesome like you know uh, mm-hmm. debilitating mm-hmm. um and so what my work what what my experience in Afghanistan, did was bring that home really, really uh, acutely, uh, and and so struggling with my own suicidal stuff, struggling with my own pain, and then stuff started popping up from <laughs> when I was younger, and then stuff started popping up, popping up that had gotten passed down,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and then the same stuff continuing to happen in terms of the institutional experience of this society, right? Mm-hmm and so uh that's why the book that's why my grandmother's hands and then the subsequent projects that are attached to that which is the music and the art that's why it it has that feel and that collaborative feel because i I, that's the only way i can do it
0: it's like the positive flip side to help
2: yeah yeah that's exactly right exactly right that's exactly right that's the only way we make it through is that we create community because when i can't tap into my own internal resource doesn't mean it's not there but because of reasons that exist but when I can't tap into that I have to be able to tap into communal resource right and so often we're taught in this society individualism and objectivism right just do but and and what it has done is made us all these individuals but longing right longing and so part of this part of what's been beautiful about this whole project man is that people Mm. were I mean, 30, on the album, 30 artists. I took them through a workshop, right, on all of this stuff. They went away, started going through their own pieces, man, and came up with this album of, of 14, 15 songs. And it's the most beautiful, You when, so the album drops June 15th. And when you get it, just listen. Don't, don't, don't fast forward. Just listen to, just listen to it straight through, man we played so so the first time you came to listen to it uh it was rough it hadn't been mastered yet Mm -hmm. so so the other day when we did the 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 artist listen that was that was all done this is the first time all of the artists had heard it all together so they each heard their own yeah yeah, but not the whole thing man they were up in there crying Mm -hmm. these are like hip-hop dudes and (laughs) all right dude they were up in there like just cuz 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 the way that Shaka put it together, man, the way that Zach put it together, it goes like this. You know, it it's a flow. And then the end is dude, they it was it was it's it's you know, Shaka Shaka's been doing this a long time. He he said this he has never heard anything like this. So yeah,
0: you you got through what you had to get to and then, and now, art has become a strong anchor for connecting. That's right. The important issues we face within ourselves
2: and That's community it. and society. That's it. That's it. That's it. Exactly. We, we 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 can no longer think about creating things that are just individual. If you're not collaborating with people, if you're not looking, who would who who would think to take a book and then create art pieces connected to it or create an album? Nobody's nobody's doing that. Right, And I didn't come up with that by myself. Shock, me and Shaka was talking, he said, dude, you need an album with this. And I was like, really? He goes, yeah, I think, yeah. And so we just started going back and forth and talking about it. And that's how it, that's how it hooked up. So the way you and Shaka curate all of these
0: connecting parts to engage a larger audience, yeah. why is that different?
2: I, th- I, I actually think most of it has to do like I know, I've known Shaka since he was eighteen years old, right? When he was with uh, the Micronauts, right? And to what I love Shaka, right? I I, I truly love him because um, I've seen him take on things, man, that probably would have broke the average person, right? And 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 watched him become a a man, watched him become a father watched him become a community organizer, watched him care and love his people. Uh, I think one of the reasons why we, the album worked and the art worked and the book worked so seamlessly together, I think is because of who we have been and who we are and that we came, we had our feet planted underneath us before we went ahead with it, right? Um, we come from people like elder mahmoud we come from people like mother Ra'tun. we come you, you see what i mean we come from some giants man we come from we've been around people that uh have both loved us and chastised us and admonished us and held us you know what i mean and so we come from a community so it wasn't it wasn't Hard to get to. Oh, we need to do this with other people, right? I, I'm not Kanye, right? I, we ain't gonna go. We just go do it by. You know, you know what I mean. That, that, you know, I'm, uh, you know, that, that whole kind of. Oh yeah, I was getting ready to go off on the Kanye. I'll come back to that one. But, but, (laughs) but, but, but. but, um, So, so I just think, I just think it was, it was a community. It it, it was kind of how we see the world anyway, Um, and so it just sprung up out of. Yeah, cool. Actually I do want to say something about the Kanye thing. Okay. Uh so so
0: that's our people, man. Take
2: your time. Yeah. There's a there's a part of there's a part of this that is spectacle, right? And a part of this is that brother kanye craves spectacle he craves the idea of um show right and uh being an entertainer as and not necessarily a studied entertainer right will leave you can leave you um blowing in the wind when you actually need your feet underneath you when you actually need to have some mooring some cultural mooring to help you see the world not see the world as a monolith right but 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 by which you can say here's where I am and this is how I see the world when you don't have that then the idea of show or entertainment or being super intellectual without cultural moorings um, um becomes primary right and so when I see the brother saying and doing and exposing himself to some of the things that he's exposing himself to um my heart breaks for the brother. There's a part of me that understands that people like go at him and stuff like that, but the brother, the brother is hurting, right? He is, he is, he is actually the things that he's saying and the ways that he's aligning himself with things is, and looking, yeah, exactly, is actually. I don't think the brother ever recovered from his mother passing. I, I don't. I think that the grief of that. And 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 all the grief, never all the grief and the trauma, the real trauma that this brother has experienced, right? From car accidents to having his jaw shattered to being thrust pretty quickly after uh, I think it was college dropout. You know, once once college through the wire came out, that it was he he took off right. There wasn't a whole lot of adjustment, period. And I think... No breaks. And no breaks. And I think what ends up happening is that we're really good in this society at looking at black people as spectacle. We know how to do that, right? Um, I don't think we have enough compassion. Um, Not just... Listen, the stuff that the brother said was out of... Of pocket slavery was a choice out of pocket right it's just flat-out wrong and um, did you see the brother in TMZ the brother the, the brother there was a brother in TMZ that yeah. checked him. Yeah. yeah yeah and 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 the fact that the brother didn't sock him in the face and and, and did allow him to hug him and stuff like that I think is important i think i think those types of things are important because we don't do that we don't do that enough right we don't we when we see a black person that is hurting like that you know it's hard for us especially when they say stuff that feels like it goes it cuts at our cultural souls it's hard for us right because there's a deep wounding there right um and uh uh, so 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 i, I so w- with regard to the to brother Kanye, i i think that the brother is hurting i think he's been hurting for a very long time i think his people have been hurting and what you wa- what you're seeing with him is a real visual uh acute understanding of what trauma does to us and what it can do to us no matter how rich we are no matter how rich we are right so so, so, so let me say this, so basic definition of trauma, right? My basic, defi- the, the basic definition of trauma is anything that happens to you that happens too much, too fast, too soon, or happens too long, that is also coupled with not enough. And what that means is that when we are traumatized and traumatized, being traumatized really is about a stuckness. It is about an energy stuckness. Trauma is about energy, Right? Uh, what did Einstein say? Energy cannot be uh, created nor destroyed, right? right? But yet when we talk about the body, we don't even uh, uh, equate that. We should be equating that, that what happens to the energy when you are terrorized, right? What happens to the energy when you see, smell, or experience horror, right? And what trauma energy about is about is, is about a constriction. Right. It is not safe to be in the body. So the energy gets stuck. So when I'm traumatized by something, the thing that should have happened that didn't is what I'm also traumatized about. So if I get raped. Right. Yes, I can be traumatized from the actual rape. But I can also be traumatized by what didn't happen that should have. Somebody should have intervened. Somebody should have helped. Somebody should have showed me regards. Somebody should have protected me. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that's a lot of times what people can't articulate, right? Time decontextualizes trauma. So if something happens to me today and I'm acting strange two days from now, I will probably say in my mind or in my head or to you, I'm acting weird because I'm still freaked out about what happened to me yesterday. But what happens is, is that when I get 20 years out and that hasn't been taken care of, right? The what should have happened never got taken care of. And then now I have a child. That child doesn't know that what I'm doing is part response to a trauma nor do i know because time has decontextualized it my the child only knows daddy right, right? right. so now it looks like personality mm. right between in, in terms of me and my child or me and my wife oh he's just a little off or he's right that's the way it looks because she doesn't know i'm right um or or, or in a family, it can. so now my child has an experience with my nervous system mm-hmm. that it sees as normal. Right. This is who daddy is. So then they begin to do that and then now another generation happens and then that child's child begins to say, oh, that's just how daddy is. It looks like personality, but it actually might've been a traumatic retention that started two generations ago. Do you see what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And so now it looks like a family trait. Right Now, 400 years from now, it looks like culture, right? It's a traumatic retention. And so in terms of the setup, that's how I see trauma, right? Mm -hmm. I am not a trauma-informed therapist because I think that is just an asshole buzzword, right? It's just a phrase, right? It means nothing. All of these people are making cash money, cash money off of trauma-informed training, right? And I, my daddy used to be a smoker. Mm-hmm. He, knew all, he was, knew all of that time because it's written right on the side of the damn packet, don't smoke, you're going to get cancer. Right. right? He was informed and didn't do nothing with it.
1: Mm.
2: Right? Informing somebody or educating somebody is not the curative element here. If people can't tolerate it they don't have enough stamina they don't have enough humility to actually be able to, to to tolerate the discomfort of it they won't keep they won't do it right and so for me it's all right to be trauma-informed but you have to also be resilience practiced right you have to have practices when we're talking about white body supremacy it is not enough to know that I shouldn't be racist to somebody it is not enough to know that you benefit from a system simply because your skin is white. It is not enough to know that. What are your practices? What are your practices? What is the practices to uproot white body supremacy in the institutional structures that continue to, to kind of churn out white body supremacy like a factory? What are you doing? So this idea of, of, of trauma informed um, is, is just another way that white body supremacy re, uh, re, uh, reforms itself, mm. not eradicates itself, reforms itself so it can live on. For another two, three, four, five, six hundred generations. Pat that
1: uses itself in a way that it doesn't need to really address it. Doesn't
2: need to really address it, right? It's it's it's, it's so so. Let me say this: Minnesota Nice. Minnesota Nice is, paddling. Uh, um, what do you call? Uh, um,
0: for the listeners, we're all in Minnesota. Yes, right. Living here. In Minnesota that's right.
2: At that's the moment. right. the idea, the idea of, 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 of uh, the idea of uh, Minnesota nice really is about passive aggressiveness, right? right? We always hear the passive piece, but not the aggressive piece, right? It is. It is. It is. It is. You can it, joke about the passive one. You can joke about the. But 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 the but the aggressiveness of the passivity right is Mm. it is is about you i am the standard here whiteness Mm. is the standard here and when it comes to the stuff we will we will not tell you but we will carve your heart out without telling you it is a continuum white body supremacy is a continuum is there is the explicit part of it and then there's the implicit part of it we're all doing this implicit bias training stuff right now right as if that's the whole of the equation. That's a part of it. That's what's called part-whole confusion. We have now sunk all of this time and money into implicit bias training. Right? You know what I have noticed? Hmm. I've noticed
0: uh, some black friends of mine who are transplants and have moved to Minnesota. What shocks them is the Minnesota nice, passive aggressive, aggressiveness. What
2: traumatizes them is when they tell me that they become passive aggressive. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It, because, because, see, passive this idea of Minnesota nice is infused with supremacy. <laughs> it's infused with supremacy. So when we as people of color pick it up and internalize it, it has a, it has a special pain for mm-hmm. us. <laughs> There's a specialness to that. Right, and so what I've been really talking about is this idea of stop, stop having this kind of part-whole confusion. Implicit bias is part of the equation. The whole continuum has explicit and implicit, right? And many white liberals. Uh, Miss their own pieces by being. I marched with Martin Luther King, or I did this, and that. it ain't got nothing to do with it. You still, you still have white body supremacy. You still have the privilege of not addressing this. You can cut your white dreadlocks off and then move, move to uh, move to Edina, and nobody will ever know you were marching the Black Lives Matter thing. Mm-hmm. I don't have that damn luxury when I get stopped. I don't have that damn luxury when I walk into a bank. I don't have that damn luxury when I interact with the with these systems. I am a successful black man, right? My wife is a successful black woman, right? And in our fields, I still have to experience supremacy, right? In that, like I may have some advantages that maybe a poor black person doesn't have, but in my silo, I'm still at the bottom, right? The white body is still the standard in that particular silo, and white people don't want to deal with that. They don't want to. They don't want to talk about that type of stuff. They don't want to confront it, right? Let yeah, so,
1: me jump back to yeah. you were talking about that implicit bias training. Yeah, and immediately reminded me of a part in your book where you you said like we're we're having all these trainings that address the cognitive That's right. side of white body supremacy. That's right. But that's not going to do anything if we don't attack what's happening in the body. So I'd love to hear you talk more about that. So
2: one of the things that happens is that we we do all of this cognitive training, right? We do all of this. Come, you get a workshop, blah 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 blah, two days, blah 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 blah. I learned so much stuff, blah 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 blah. When when I get confronted with a black body, all of that stuff goes out of the window because the way that, that white bodies have been acculturated is that they don't have to contend with what happens when I reflexively have, is faced with a, with a black body, or, or something that I feel pushes me out of my comfort zone when it comes to race, right? and so my all of my reflex it's just like if i take a hammer and hit my knee and the reflex that even though i'm a good white liberal and i tap it down and i don't want and i would never call you an n-word right but everything in me is screaming get out of here everything me in me is screaming what do you 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 see what i mean that's in the body that's not cognitive the reptilian part of the brain will override because the reptilian part of the brain, its primary piece, is survival. It will override all of the neo all of the neocortex ideas and things. It will override it in order to get you to survival. And it don't take much for you to think that your survival is at stake. Hmm. That's the way we're acculturated. The black body has been used as a scapegoat for white bodies for poor white bodies and rich white bodies not to deal with their own um, historical trauma. Rit, um, um, land-owning, wealthy, elite white bodies developed whiteness, so they did not have to deal with the, with the class stuff. Right, They developed whiteness in 1680 The term white did not exist before then It did not exist 1680 right after the Bacon's Rebellion Is when Virginia started You started seeing the term white in law And what that did was Was then make poor whites go And this I believe It happened because Poor white Had a thousand years of sheer, unencumbered brutality. From the Crusades, to the Inquisitions, to the land theft, through the genocide, through the peasant class, through plagues, through beatings, through through rapes, through all of that stuff, a thousand years. This is the reason why it was called the Dark Ages. Right, <laughs> it wasn't called the Dark Ages because that was, you know, it was a nice club, right? It was, it was called the Dark Ages because it was a dark, brutal time for white bodies, mm. right? That happened for a thousand years, and in 1492, that traumatized body came here, right? That traumatized body came here, and that and traumatized bodies, traumatized bodies, and so. And so when the elites got here and started developing the 13 colonies, 13 colonies, I want you to understand 13 colonies, 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 colonies comes from the word colonization. The colonies were filled filled with white folks that were colonized. We never think about, whenever we think about colonization, we always think about Native bodies, black bodies, Aboriginal bodies—right? We never think that the thirteen colonies were the col- the British colonies, they were colonized white folks. Mm. The French, the, the 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 Spanish colonies colonized white folks, right? The French colonies colonized white—they all colonized. And so, and so then you have all of these uprisings that are starting to happen because of poor bodies feeling like they don't wanna have their, the, the foot on their neck all the time, right? Not just black bodies, not just native bodies, white bodies who had come over here was like, we're getting dogged and, 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 and all of this stuff. And so after the Bacon's Rebellion, the elites created in law, in institution, white. And they passed a series of laws to make sure that everybody understand, we're talking about white. We ain't talking about French. We ain't talking about British. We ain't ain't talking about uh, 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 Spain. We're not talking, we talk about white dominion because you are white. So now you have dominion over black and native bodies simply because you're white. And I think what what allowed whiteness to become institutionalized, Mm was the thousand years of brutality has softened the soil for poor whites to accept it. For poor whites to go, you mean to tell me all I got to do is be white? And I ain't got to do that. You, For real? Yeah, we'll take that. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: We'll we'll take that. That sounds like a good ass. And you mean my children don't have to be born in the servitude, but theirs do? They become production machines? Oh yeah, we'll, we'll take that. Let's do that. You mean I get to have a little bit of land, a little bit of stolen Indian land? You mean I get to do, oh, yeah, we, we take some of that. And all I got to do is beat them and watch them and make sure that I control their their black bodies, i.e., this is how the militia came up, i.e., this is how slave catchers came up, i.e., this is how the police came up, right, watching and managing black bodies.
1: Thank you. And, and what if we can jump back to kind of the systems that you've had to navigate, I yeah. think. Oh, in my social work practice, yeah.
2: I, I Once again, I didn't do this by myself. Mm. I didn't do, I had a community and I had my feet culturally. I, I had some cultural moorings yeah. that allowed me to kind of plait my feet a little bit, um, which is why community is so important, which is why the development of, which is why white folks have to begin to develop community right they have to develop begin to develop community outside of of uh of supremacy and they have to challenge each other and they have to read together and they have to develop language together they have to develop dance together they have to develop, do you understand what i mean yeah. and you haven't had to do that because the whole system is predicated on you being the standard but if what we're talking about is uprooting white supremacy you can't you can't do that you're going to have to f- slow it down a lot of a lot in my book Surpri- not surprisingly, but all across the country, I'm having people order bulks, bulk copies of my book and read together and commit to a year, white folks, commit to a year of coming back to this, not just reading the book, but practicing the pieces together. Talking with each other, t- you know what I mean. Being coached, it's just it's it's amazing what the book is doing. Is that people are actually starting to begin to use it together, not just individual. Oh, that was a nice book. I just yeah, mm-hmm. that was really nice. No, they're reading it and then they're coming together and and holding each other accountable to some of these pieces. Um, but in terms of how I got here, it was because I had people that held me as I was going through. Uh, I had a, a professor. Uh, that I I was working for Harry, I was uh, working for Harry Tubman Center and he was a professor there, uh, Professor Oliver Williams uh, from the School of Social Work and then at one point we was doing some groups and stuff together and he looked at me and he said, when are you going back to get your master's? I was like, man, I ain't going back to get that. It was hard enough for me to get out of school. You know, I got out by the skin of my teeth. (laughs) I got out (laughs) by the skin of my teeth. He was like, no, you need to go back. He goes, Rosman, you know, you, you already doing stuff that nope, that, you know, people with PhDs ain't doing all this. I was like, man, I ain't going back. And so he ended up telling me about a fellowship that the Bush Foundation had, the Bush 4E Fellowship uh, for social work. And he said, dude, apply for it. And I was like, no, no, no. He made me apply for it. And I applied for it and got it. And then worked on worked during the week and did uh, classes on uh, Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays and then that's how that's how i got but once again he was there had other elders that were there that held me as i went through the process Uh, because that's a crazy making that those institutions are not about affirming blackness even if they're saying even if they're saying you know uh, you know, we need to have more more diverse. Uh, we need to do this than the other. You, white supremacy is still part of the the thing, so it comes up, right? They are the standard. Uh, one of the things that I do in my workshops that 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 white folks just kind of go crazy about, and they lose it, is when I start my workshops. I ask, I say, how many people believe in diversity, right? And <laughs> the amount of hands and the in in the 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 speed at which yeah <laughs> the, <laughs> the speed I was these, up, right? <laughs> <that's right. laughs> looking around yeah the speed at which those hands is just like right and so uh and i said no keep your hands up keep your hands up and then the next question i ask is i say diverse from what they're admitting right right and i say and, and then they try and bring their hands out i said no 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 <laughs> keep your hands up Answer the question. When we say diversity, we're saying, I'm asking you, diverse from what? Because when you say diversity, there has to be a standard by which you diverse from, right? There has to be a starting point. What is the starting point when we say diversity? How'd that go for them? Oh, man, they hate it. Because they have to admit, for one of the first times, that when we say diversity, the standard is white. Because if the standard wasn't white, we wouldn't need, there would be no need to talk about diversity. It would just be people. Mm -hmm. But because we have to talk about diversity, there is a standard. And that's, and and what I want white folks to do is begin to actually talk about the unseen. Talk about the standard that is, that is, uh, that permeates the process and procedure, you must say it. Mm-hmm. You got to <laughs> name it. You got to name it. You got to You gotta say, I am the standard. I don't like it. So what do I need to do other than just having Taco Tuesday and eating people's fried chicken and shit, right? What am I going to do, right? And that's going to be excruciating. Dirty pain is the pain you get from continually go around things Clean pain is is the pain you get by going through it. Here's the deal. Most of us want the choice between pain and no pain, not clean pain and dirty pain. And when it comes to race, white people can't get around clean and dirty. Mm -hmm. You're gonna have to make a choice, and you are every day, that you're more willing to deal with the dirty pain than to deal with the clean pain. Clean pain has capacity in ways that dirty pain does not Clean pain has the ability to build capacity It's still pain It's still pain But the op- but, but to not Engage in that process Means that you're willing to accept The dirty Anybody that's been married know, Or been in a long term relationship Knows clean pain and dirty pain mm-hmm. You've been sitting there With your partner And you go I know I should bring this up, but if I do, I know this shit is gonna go out of control, so I ain't bringing this shit up. That's dirty. Clean pain is, I know I should bring this up. She gonna lose her mind or he gonna lose his mind. I know I should bring this up. Look, we gotta talk about this, right? Both painful, you already know what's gonna (laughs) happen, but but you take a move and a leap and say, Yeah, I gotta do this. Because my integrity won't allow me to sit this down. And I know if we don't go through this, there's no way that we're going to continue to make it. Right? There's no way to make it if I keep being dirty. So. Do you think
0: trauma within us is perpetuated when we pretend that we're not in pain? Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. perpetuated when we choose dirty pain? Yeah. Well. Dirty pain, let me say this. The reason why we choose dirty pain is not because we're evil. The reason why we choose dirty, pain, d- choose dirty pain is because it's actually easier. It actually is easier, especially if you've been doing dirty pain a long time. To do clean pain actually feels worse. Right? The experience of it is worse. When I'm used to getting dogged, for somebody to be nice to me is like, what you want? right would would right and so and so what ha- so i don't look at this as being defective i look at it as being kind of pragmatic that yeah it makes sense that i would rather choose the the dirty especially if i get benefit from it right you mean i don't even as a white person i don't even have to address it and i'll be fine really i'll be fine i mean how is how is silence how is silence
0: a uh, hinder yeah, dirty pain. That's great, it Sounds. How is it a hindrance to healing?
2: Silence is actually, so let me say this. I believe silence is actually a traumatic response that got passed down, that's decontextualized, that's historical when we talk about, especially for white bodies, right? I think, let me, let me ask you this. Right now, if we're sitting here and my wife comes through the door and my wife has a little... Uh, Doodle Snicker, some little dog or Doodle Doodle Snoodle, some 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 type of little, yeah. Anyway, so let's say she brings in a dog is about that big, right? Just a (laughs) just a little thing. I'm like, oh, you talking about a dog? He he three years old. His ass, his little ass is about that big, (laughs) right? And so, uh, so, so let's say she walked in here right now, right? If she walked in here, my wife is beautiful too. I'm like but i am not like bragging. But anyway, so 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 let's say my wife comes in and she sits she stands here and uh and you see the dog, right? And you like the dog, you guys, oh that's a nice oh look, oh, that's cute. He'd come up and he'd hop on you and blah blah blah. And you'd be like, Oh, this cute dog, nah, nah, nah And then I took the dog, right? Right? I took the dog and you saw me holding the dog and you're like, Oh and then I grabbed a hammer and then you saw me draw the hammer back and get ready to smash the skull in, both of you guys would jump up and stop me from trying to smash the skull in, wouldn't you? You would probably both tackle me and say, what the, why you go blast the damn dog here, right? Both of you would, would do that. Why didn't white people do that when they saw black people being lynched? Why did 15,000 of them show up? Make postcards and make postcards and cut off ears and fingers and 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 trade them, and then have their children there and watch it. Right, what got passed down to the children? How many of those children became police officers? Became judges? Became heads of banks? Became school teachers? Beca- Do you understand what I mean? Four thousand. After, after uh, emancipation, four thousand five hundred black people were hung and lynched. Right, I'm not talking about all. I'm just talking for that for that period. Why didn't white Why why did white folks show up in droves to watch it? Right, when they heard the screaming, when they smelled the burning flesh. When, when, when? Why didn't they turn away? Why didn't they cover their eyes? Why didn't anybody speak up? Right? And I would argue that that's a throwback from the Dark Ages. I would argue that the brutality mm. that happened to them created something that now looks like culture and that constriction that happens in the throat. Then you organize around the constriction and develop culture around the constriction Mm -hmm. and it seems right and it seems real and it seems the right thing to do. And then you create a religion around that. That's different. The religion that white people were getting was different than the religion that black folks was getting. And they all housed under Christianity. Do you understand what I mean? And so that constriction in silence is why Black, what, why uh, white bodies can't tolerate and don't have stamina around race. It's a pass down. It's why damn finksters just tighten up, right? The mo- unless unless they've been in work, doing their own work or in work with people of color that I said, no. Nah. I've been doing this for four, five, six hundred years. This is let me. You need to have some humility. Humility when we come to talk about this. You need to be able to tolerate this. Don't you start crying. Mm -hmm. Don't sit up here. Start. Don't. That ain't helping, Mm -hmm. right? Your fragility is not helpful here. Your humility might be helpful. Your stamina might be helpful, but your fragility definitely not. Do, Do you understand what I mean? And so, so silence, I believe, is one of the things that's baked into the white body. Wipe, not, nothing is going to bad nothing is negative necessarily is going to happen to you for being silent right so. mm. Yes. Mm. <laughs> have, you, have, you,
0: have you ever come across moments in your practice that are shocking to you with regard to trauma
2: or race?
0: I guess I guess open ended. Any instant of a response from not someone lately. or not lately? Um, it's it's pretty outside not, of the supremacy that you have to navigate.
2: Yeah, like you know, uh, not. It, I mean, I, I there's dude. I've been doing this for thirty years. There's there's really not a whole lot I haven't seen. What was what was like the one of the most shocking? Can you name a, a what the fuck moment? You yeah, had? Uh, I I'll name you one of my own. What the he- mm. uh, so, um so one so my brother's a twenty five year cop veteran, been doing it for a long time. I love my brother. I love both my brothers. Um and he got a job over in Afghanistan to train the Afghani police, right? So he was one of the people that was over there and, you know, uh, training them how to become police officers and all this different type of stuff so about a year into it he calls me and he goes now this is my brother who I've been born and raised with love and he goes dude do you know anybody that does trauma work <laughs> I said <laughs> I said what he said do you know anybody that does trauma work I said are you are you serious he goes yeah I said dude are you serious he goes what the he said yeah I'm serious he said do you know somebody that do, that do trauma work and I said, dude, you don't listen to a damn thing I say, dude. You like you have not listened to any. Of you. I said, that's that's what I do. That's my whole function. He's like, "Oh, see, that's why I was calling because I knew it was something." Right. So, so we start talking and he says, "Dude," he says, so "Let me tell you what's going on over here." I said, "What's happening?" He said, "Well, many of the of the bases here don't have uh most of the bases here are run, I don't know if you guys realize this, but most of the bases in Afghanistan at the time were run by civilians, right? Um, see, see the, 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 many of the, the military people whose job is function on the war fighting, but how you get food in and off bases, logistics, fuel, all that different, thing, that's civilians like us. And many of them don't necessarily have military backgrounds, right? And during that time, remember, we were in a big downturn, right? So people were losing their jobs and nobody could work over here. So a lot of people were going over there to save their houses and send their babies to school and all that different type of stuff. And so my brother said, my brother goes, dude, one of the things that's happening is that we got all of these uh, civilians over here and nobody knows how to work with trauma. Nobody knows how to deal with the trauma stuff. And he said, so the reason why I'm calling dudes is we need to get somebody over here because they don't have anything over here right now, right? So you got 17,000 people over there and they're getting hit by bombs. They're suiciding, All everything that's, you know, rapes, all kind of stuff. And nobody's working with them, right? So my brother goes, dude, would you ever come? Over? I was like, hell no. Mm-hmm. Hell no, I ain't coming over there. He's like, dude, dude, no, yes, it'd be cool, blah, blah, blah. I was like, he said, you know, you could be over here with me. and all. I was like, dude, you know, that's crazy. And then he, then, then he said, he said, he, I said, first of all, Maria ain't going for it. My wife, she mm-hmm. ain't going for it. I'm just telling you. He goes, dude, you know, blah, blah, blah. He said, well, hold on. Hold on a minute, dude. <laughs> I said, what? He said, let me tell you how much they're paying. I was like, it don't matter how much they pay dude, cause I, and he said, I said, for real? I was like, for a year? He said, dude, for a year. And I said, and he said, and half of that is tax free. And I ain't gonna tell you the number, but it was, it was, it was, it was nice, right? And I was like.
1: Hey everybody, we never do this. Because we always want the interviews to be raw and exactly what the artists tell us. uh, But we lost a minute of audio.
0: Yeah. You know, Bresma was explaining, contemplating going to Afghanistan, as you just heard. And the only thing we lost was uh, an important conversation or conversations that he had with his wife that led to the decision of them together agreeing, making this trip to Afghanistan to do this work. And after that conversation, Resma explained having to train in Texas, where it's a little hotter in the states, and then having to go to Dubai and not knowing exactly when they deployed to Afghanistan. And we'll pick right back up here of Resma on the plane to Afghanistan.
1: Here it is. Dubai.
2: We're in Afghanistan. Told, and this is what the aha uh, or the, the kind of fucked up moment, right? where you know where training does not equate to orientation, right? Or there is a body. There's something that happens to the body when you're transported from one place to another place, right? And so he gets on. He said, I want to uh, thank you guys for flying with us, this, that, and the other. You know, uh, 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 my I heard that there was some... You know, a little bit of scuttlebutt around us turning off the air conditioning and stuff like that. So, one of the things I wanted to say to you guys is this. We did not turn off the air conditioning. It is 117 degrees on the ground in Afghanistan, and the air conditioning does not work. Welcome to Afghanistan. Click. Right? And everybody goes. Everybody starts looking. Like, this is it right? We land and the next thing that happens is I'm in the back. Next thing that happens is we land. It's hot. Everybody's drenched, right? You know, because it's a hundred and, like, when I talk about Afghanistan heat, and it is it is horrible. It is so hot, right? And don't let nobody tell you this stuff about dry heat and, 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 and dry heat and wet heat and humid heat. It's, look, it's, it's crazy, right? So, so, the first thing that happens, you land, you get your gear on, and then the doors open up. And when the doors open up, this heat just rushes through the whole cabin, right? It just takes it. and Then you hear people cussing down. Get get over there, you stupid. And it's the military people, you know, it's it's, it's just, it's guns and everything, right? So, this is what you're faced with. You're walking down, and when you, and, and so you get, and then the next thing that happens, the next, sensory piece that happens to your body, is that I, I the base we landed in was called CAF, right? Kandahar Air Force Base, right? When you land in CAF, CAF has, and anybody that's listening to this, you can look this up on Google, CAF has what's called poop ponds. Yes, poop ponds. This, because they didn't have a sewage thing, so all of the poop ended up in ponds that got aerated. 117 degrees with poop. That's the next thing that hits you. Mm-hmm. So it's the smell, right? So that was the, the, the oh shit movement. Because the reason why is that it's the difference between being trained and informed about something mm-hmm. and when your feet first hit the ground in Afghanistan, you immediately become disoriented. Mm-hmm. Your You're nine hours ahead of of here right so you are disoriented you're nothing that your body could orient to exist anymore the smells the time everything is different and that's the same thing that happens now Where trauma comes into play is that you get stuck there in that disorientation that's trauma do you understand what I mean and so I ended up landing. I ended up uh, 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 staying there and, and ended up getting traumatized to the point to where I ended up uh, re-upping without telling my wife and staying another year because my body, whenever I would come back here, my body did not feel safe here,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? My orientation was there my orientation was not here. So when I uh, was here and I'd be laying in the bed with my wife and her foot would touch my foot, I'd get up out of the bed. I couldn't, right? I was waking up at the same time heat he, when I would come home for vacation. so there was was home. and that's what happens when we get traumatized. and so so so, so that was the oh, right? And then coming back here. Um, in 2013 and then having to because my wife said if I did another year she was going to divorce me so I ended up coming back in 2013 but didn't actually land here I came back in 2013 didn't land until about 15 right it took a long time for me to get back here mm-hmm. yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah so that was the oh, oh fuck moment yeah
0: <laughs> like a five year old. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about taking in, listening and writing about troubling things mm-hmm. without being troubled by them. Yeah. Are you someone who's able to do that?
2: Do I get troubled by the things that I write in um in, Whether you take in from it does take patients in. even. Yeah. So so I have I have a pretty uh I have a pretty tight self care regimen. Mm-hmm. Part of this work, um, is if if, self-care is actually revolutionary right especially for the black bodies self-care and um and um dealing with the ravages of trauma and supremacy and all that different type of stuff if you don't if you're a healer and you don't have self-care practices you won't last long you won't be a resource to the community um because it will wear this this society and the structures of the society uh, is designed to use the black body up and grind it in the dust, and then uh, have it go away and die. That's what it does. Work to can't see in the morning, to can't see at night. That's what we do. Um, and so, if so, part of part of what I've learned is how to work out, how to. Um, Uh, listen to uh, black affirmations, how to uh, breathe, how to take a moment and just stop. And and when I'm walking out of the garage, rather than slamming all my stuff into the trunk, getting in and taking off, take a minute, walk to the front of my car and then just look up and just kind of breathe a little bit, just a half a second, just to see if I can notice just a little settling in my nervous system right and I try and do that throughout the day because mm-hmm. um, you can't do this work without doing that um and, and and if you try and do it and I have tried to I've done it tried to do it is that if you try to do it the level of healing that you're able to help people with becomes uh, dis, uh disfigured right it doesn't come out right um because you're not uh, open enough and your energy is still protective and people pick up on that they may not be able to articulate what it is but they pick up that something ain't right with you right uh, so self-care is is huge uh, i still get tagged uh like today i uh i try i've been taking myself off of social media but today i watched this video where this guy his brother ran a stop sign and the cop followed him all the way to his house and then pulled uh, pulled him over in his driveway, pulled a gun on him because he ran a stop sign, right? And then his, his, his girlfriend is just losing it. She's five months pregnant. She's like, why are you doing this, right? Like, just, you know, if he did run a stop sign, do you have to get out of the car and pull your taser or your gun or whatever and then end up, like, 10 other cops showed up? Is that necessary? Right, so I still get you know I was cussing. I was like mm-hmm. every day, mm-hmm. every day this yeah, this type of stuff happens. I
0: love what you said about a half a second to calm your nervous system. Yeah, any little moment for a deep breath. That's right. You know mm-hmm. I appreciate that reminder. It's, it's funny because like you know how like the phrase for going the phrase for going to take a piss is relieve
2: yourself. That's exactly right? right.
0: But sometimes I'm I'm in a public bathroom and I'm relieving myself, but I notice like four dudes in there coming after me and piss and get out of there before I'm done. That's exactly right. I'm like,
2: did you right. leave yourself? That's right. Or is <laughs> well, it like, just still going down your I'll be up, there. Like, <laughs> I'll be the, I'll be up in there like, oh, that's right.
3: that's it. I'm done. And I'm that's like, it. It's oh, okay, it. you know. just
2: taking it a moment. No, that's yeah. it. That's real. And those are the types of things that we have to steal. Those are the types of things that we have. We have to regiment those types of things. It can't be just a weird thing. It got to be like, yeah. you know what? I need this. this is I need this I need I need to be able to sense myself again and sense myself in the world and and actually see a lot of times a lot of times black bodies have to operate almost in the dissociative state so 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 one of the things that um 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 Du Bois talked about Mm. is two souls in the black body right that idea Of 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 uh, to me, it's kind of a dissociative state, and we've had to, in order to survive this brutality, there's a level of us that can't be present, and when we can just give ourselves a second, or give our community a second, or give somebody a second, it's one of the reasons. I you know maybe I don't know if you have, but when you when I correspond with people, uh, especially black bodies, on like social media and stuff like that. it's one of the reasons why I'm always saying thank you. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons why I'm always appreciative. Because a lot of times black bodies don't get that. Yeah. There's, it's a interact. It's always interactive. It's always uh, transactional, right? You
0: know, I know the courts will never recognize it, but that Two Souls thing, is, I think that's so many of the crimes we black people do commit that happen to be a misdemeanor or a felony. Mm-hmm. I think that Two Souls thing is like, when we're in that act, that's right. It might be that other soul. Yeah. I mean, I can personally say. That's right. I feel that way. That's right. Having experienced. That's right. The system. I'm not going to ask specifically about the "This Is America" video. Yeah. Yeah. I'm you just can. gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna bring it up. Okay. Just the fact that we're looking that's at you right. and I know. That's right. That's right. But around the video, let's not talk about the video. I just want to ask you, you know, what has blackness meant to you, mm. and have you seen conversations in modern times, right? Yeah. Have you seen conversations on blackness being rounded about in society in toxic,
2: toxic ways? Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah. You mean blackness. Yeah, yeah. So, so, but, 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 see, that's an old, old trope. That's yeah. an old throwback. The the, 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 remember the setup is that one drop of black blood makes you black, which yeah. makes you deviant from the standard of humanness. Right. Remember, the standard is the white body. So if you got one drop of black blood, you are deviated your standard deviation away from human. Right. We've internalized those pieces, you know, uh, blue vein society, you know, uh, small, a uh, 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 fine tooth comb uh, 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 test, paper bag test. All those things were things that were told based, told to us and given to us based on the white body being the supreme standard, right? And so, yeah, we internalize those pieces. I think, though, uh, I think that, uh, let me just say this. Black Panther was the shit. Whatever problems people had with it and all that different type of stuff, to have a movie where the images are affirming all the way through. Even even Killermonger, right? There's a piece of me with Killermonger that was like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I see you, right? And so and so to me, even the I, you know, you know, what a lot of people don't know is that the 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 Wakanda sign, you know, the 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 the, the W. It looks like a W. You know, that's actually from if you look at. <laughs> tell them what you're showing yeah so it's the it's the uh the 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 sarcophagus of uh of um uh, king tut right and all of those types, right that that sign that symbol is from the ancestors that's the that's the piece it's the cross. It's, it's unity right wakanda forever right right People don't realize the significance of this movie and how it's gonna reverberate over time. Think about this, man. Think about if me and you were five years old, black, going to see that movie. The possibilities, the idea of Afrofuturism, right? And what's possible without considering white supremacy and whiteness and white body. You, You see what I mean? The fact, when when, when Sister Siri said, uh, call the old boy colonizer, right? That's cultural mooring. The reason why she said that lets you know what her cultural mooring is. Her cultural mooring is I'm set on this ground and I know what my relationship is between me and you. You can say whatever you want to say, but I know what this is, right? And the idea of of blackness being shaped by black people, <laughs> and having an image like Black Panther with the of a possibility of that, even if we never get there. Another, you ever seen Brother Bobby Rogers stuff? Yeah. Yeah, with the eyes and the celestial pieces in it. Man, that's that that's hot, right? That's even our music, even 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 uh, dismembered and unarmed, right? those pieces are what are, are are what excites me about the future for black people not what Trump is doing not what you know all that uh, craziness right that's just that's just craziness but but what's happening on the ground just what y'all doing right what y'all doing and, and, and giving authentic voice help, helping authentic voices be, begin to kind of get out here that's powerful man and so I just yes I've, I've seen it and, and I've seen it you know uh, being used but let me just say this piece so when it comes to um, Childish Gambino's uh, uh, This is America um, you can so do you know what a polymath is so a polymath so, uh, um, what's, his, uh, what's the dude? Uh, uh, da Vinci. Yeah. Da Vinci. He was a polymath. He was a person who, uh, who was a scientist. He was an artist. He was, or, those are polymaths. They can think about different pieces, right? Here's what I think is funny about that. Is that, because we, we, he's known as the world's first genius, right? That's what they, you know, because he's a poly, you know, polymath but the reason why he stood out so much was because he was in European culture. European culture is really focused on parts and individual and breaking things down. There's not a whole conception. They don't think, right? But in African cultures, we think about holes, right? Um, we think about uh, or, or we have a sense of things that being connected to one another, right? So the idea of polymath, he really stands out because he's that piece. I believe that within within African American, within African culture in general, and African American culture specifically, the idea of the polymath is not unusual, right? The idea that we think about how things are connected, how is the how is this connected to that, and how is that connected to that, kind of comes naturally for us. And, and you see it in the music. You see it in the, in the art. You see it in, the, in, in connecting it to math. You see, you, see, you see our babies doing it naturally. It isn't until it's squeezed out of them at about the, the, the second grade that you start to see this kind of individual thing show up. But in general, this idea of the polymath, is intrinsic to us, and that's what that's what excites me about our future is that many of somebody like Brother Kanye, Kanye, the reason why, and once again, he doesn't have any his cultural mooring is skewed, so he it can't it's not seamless like it should be, right? Um, his idea of wanting to do design. Wanting to do art, wanting to do music, not be put in the box—that's a polymath type of thinking, but it's disjointed because of his own pain.
0: Like a Pharrell has a cultural mooring.
2: That's right. That's right. He has a more of a cultural mooring that you can go. Ah, that's why it comes out more with more clarity, right? Because it is—it's—it's it's steeped in something. But because brother brother uh, Kanye is so hurt and so traumatized and so damaged, that stuff comes out like. Why the hell is he kicking it with Trump? I mean, what? The, what? Come on, man! Right? Uh, so that so 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 that's what gives me hope about the future. Is that people are are that that the I believe that the Black Panther ten years from now is going to unleash these possibilities
3: mm-hmm.
2: that I don't think would have existed had it not been been the way that they put that together. They put that together. Sure.
1: Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. You know, you mentioned a few times that w- while you were going through the process of writing the book, um, you were speaking and and working with the Minneapolis Police Department. Oh yeah. And yeah. you, I, I remember reading the sentence that you were the first professional to kind of guide them through working through the the trauma in their bodies. Mm-hmm. What? How did you personally prepare for that? And, and wh- what did you notice in your own body? That's good, brother. That's a great question.
2: Um. So, so I told you my brother was a 25 year uh, cop, um, and so we've had we had a lot of, we had a lot of talks before I went in there. And he mm-hmm. said, "Dude, this is what you need to know. These motherfuckers right. is this." And he said, <laughs> I mean, that's, he said, "Yeah, I'm a cop, but as but there's a difference between a cop and a black cop. And there's let me tell you my experience, and I know some of the experiences he done had with other white cops. I mean, he had to choke the shit out of one. and <laughs> I mean, you know, just it's yeah. a different, you know. And so and so." Sitting with him yeah. and him saying, look, this is what they're going to do. Here's what they're going to say and blah, blah, blah. Here's the backdrop of that. And dah, 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 dah. So I spent some time with him. Right. That's the first piece. The second. And then I know how how the body works. Right. right. So 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 my whole thing with and, and continues to be with the Minneapolis police is not to and see the police officers. Here's what police the kind of idea of policing one of the things that they genuflect to is this idea of the bad apple right there's a bad apple there's a bad apple there's a bad apple and what that is is an inherently individual and objective kind of which which go which slides right into the way that the society is constructed and so and then it also gives cops and out right but 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 what i've been talking to them about is how do you build and develop a a organizational care infrastructure right and what that means is is that what a lot of people don't realize is that there is no infrastructure whose job it is to take care of police officers from inquiry to retiring. There is none, right? So a lot of the things that happen to police never get addressed until they blow somebody's head off, right? So all of the things that that would be happening both in terms of their own life cycle and the life cycle of policing that happens, there is no infrastructure that addresses it as part of the structure. Not as a bad apple. It is not a bad apple. it is a bad apple um, uh, a bad apple factory. That's what it is. It's the institution, right? And so and so for instance, when you're a rookie, when you when you get your badge and your gun and you show up that first day, that first day that you show up, you're going to be on overnight right? You're going to be on overnights. You're going to be working 10 to 6, right? Or 12 to 8, or 12 to 9, or 12 to ten, Whatever it is, you're, that's during the time. And and you're you're a rookie, so you're probably going to be about 23, 24 years old. Also around the same time you're thinking about family, house, all that different type of stuff, right? If I'm working overnights, I'm more than likely to see the brother or the white boy or the Latino brother that's coming out of the bar drunk or overnight I'm showing up because there's some domestic or there's a fire or I'm showing, right? All of these things that make me um, activate and be on guard. I'm less likely to see the brother that runs a podcast right that's working every day that's getting up that's you you understand what i mean take pushing the baby carriage down and i'm less likely to see that right i will be doing that job for 5 years 5 to 10 years overnight do you understand what yeah. i mean i will be seeing gaping wounds of people getting their heads split open um, not necessarily by me i will be seeing be responding to fires where i may have to smell burning flesh or see a dead body or so Do you understand what I mean? All the things that make my body want to recoil and turn away from. But because I'm a police officer, I'm taught to override that and look at it and stare and never have a place to where I settle down, right? I don't even know and nobody's told me, and there's nobody checking on me. So when I see that this baby dad, I go and sit in my car, and nobody's getting their eyes on me, and I'm getting stuck each time. So five years in, my girlfriend says to me, That's right, five years in, my girlfriend says to me, What's wrong with you? And I go, Nothing. Because I don't know how to talk to you about it. Because I don't know what's happening, because the things that should have happened didn't.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Nobody checked on me. Nobody showed me regard. Nobody, look, you know what I'm saying? Nobody helped. Nobody did anything. And I overrode all of those years. So now you're going to ask me what's wrong with me? Nothing. Right? And then five years after that, I pulled your black ass over and you tell me you legally got a gun and all i hear is gun and i'm already reflexive to black bodies anyway because that's the way i'm acculturated and that and i may be a black police officer but because there's no care infrastructure in in, in that takes care of me that when i go to a, a baby being killed and my sergeant hears that I was one of the ones that's on the scene. His job is to get his ass up off of the desk and come and come to the scene so he can look at my eyes and see what's going on and tell me what might be going on in terms of trauma and give me some. Do you understand what I mean? That doesn't happen. And so what I'm helping them do is begin to develop that understanding that it is their job to do that. Mm-hmm. that it is not that it has to be infused in the infrastructure in the process and procedure in the justice process and procedure of the policing department otherwise you just have a bad apple mentality and the only time you look at a bad apple is when you've already bit it and it's in your mouth and you have to confront it and what i'm saying is you have a bad apple factory and you must understand that in order to change the factory, you're going to have to change out some apparatuses and some processes and procedures in order to clean it up.
1: Mm. Yeah. In in the book, you talk about coming into a space and settling yourself before you go into that space. Yes.
2: Um, it's one of the things I talk about with the police officers. Yeah. That 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 you have to you have to you have to prep yourself and develop self-care routines before you get called to that 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 murder or that beating or whatever you have to have practices before the same way the same way um um professional basketball players have to practice the euro step before they get in game in a game and try and do the euro step and look like an idiot <coughs> do you understand what i mean you got to practice it over and over and over and over again well this is the same way you got to practice you have to practice uh, how to do your own work going into it being in it and coming out of it and 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 as structure the structure of policing doesn't help with that they don't teach it. as a matter of fact they teach override right and the override is you got a job to do just go and do it and get it over with right and then when you have this sense and this energy that's thwarted on your nervous system how do you deal with it you have an affair you drink too much you isolate you see all the things to do with the energy and because nobody's talked to you about it you don't even know what to say it's just mm-hmm. so so you wait for your retirement or you wait for a met for you to, to medically retire right you're on the job you're retired on the job right, right? um so
1: And this, this one's really open-ended, but what was the hardest part of the book to write or maybe what was the hardest process to go through with this book?
2: Um,
1: and again, if that's not something you want to dive into. No, that's it's okay. fine, it's
2: fine, it's fine. Um, I think that the hardest... I think the hardest thing was contending with some of my own... Um, suicidal stuff. Because mm. uh, at the same time, at the, when I was writing the book, I was still going through my own stuff. Uh, and and everything was coming. Uh, you know, the stories of my grandmother, my own historical trauma, the um, intergenerational stuff, and then my own personal stuff was still pretty present. And so I think that was the hardest piece in being. In, and sitting with it long enough to help it so it can metabolize itself so something could come through as opposed to me just ending up in a heap. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, yeah, that was the hardest piece. Appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, sorry.
0: Yeah, so how do you
2: balance cynicism and hope? I love, I have hope. And, you know, cynicism, uh, I think cynicism is different than a jaundiced eye. Jaundiced eye means that I, I kind of look like, is this really what it is? Uh, I think cynicism can almost be like, like a personality. Like, you know, I'm cynic. You know, mm. so, some some mm. people. You know, some people are contrarian just to be contrarian, right? You see some. You see some black uh, black. Uh, Republicans like that they just they' gonna argue with other black folks just to argue with other black folks right people who don't like the challenge Gambino that's right that's right yeah <laughs> yeah just 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 to argue you know not 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 a surface in the fact that dude got a uh, dude got a uh, a white girlfriend Gambino got a white girlfriend and and, and I'm I'm and, and as if as if that discounts what he did that that, and and i get it like get out jordan got away that's right that's right (laughs) i get it i get it right exactly
0: we get it we get it i
2: understand because there's a piece of that that says you know in terms of our own history is like can i if you aligning yourself with them can i trust you but I think there are things that we can watch and see in people that can demonstrate that there's a place where we can, mm-hmm. right? I think, about, I think about just some of our, man, our people were not perfect. James Ballman, James Ball, I love James Ball, but he wasn't perfect. Uh, Muhammad Ali, Prince, none of these, none of these uh, uh, ancestors were perfect. And they contributed mightily to our people. They contributed mightily to our people and i think Ambina will be the same thing that video man just in terms of just the texture of it th- he's doing a lot of acting in that video i mean just i mean some of them even the dance moves that he's made, i mean man when he when he comes through, and then the subtleness, like when he comes through that door and that 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 choir is singing and they're doing that stuff and he go and then he goes, like that you know that was about Charles. I mean, you know you know that was about uh, uh, the dude who walked up into the church. I mean, you just all of this stuff. And and then he's putting in the new dances with it and all this different type of stuff. And then some of the lyrics that he sang, you know. Gives um, you hope. Yeah. Some of it gives you hope, and then some of it is, like, in your face. Get that money. Get that money any way you can. Get that money. You know, it's just like, you just like. Okay, dude put it in work. And then the end where he's just running and all you see is his eyes. The visuals yeah. of what he's doing. Did that inspire you? The, oh I, my creator? God. My God. Dude, and the fact that he did it with a little belly too, you know, with no you know, with, you know what I mean? With a shirt. I mean, you gotta be pretty confident, man. You gotta be pretty confident to let your Buddha hang and you you know everybody gonna see it. You know, I'm sitting here doing a podcast and I'm holding my Buddha in. <laughs> You know,
1: it's just,
2: just, you know, but yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. What are you tired of hearing? Mm.
3: Uh,
2: I'm tired of hearing uh, white folks say that uh, we need to just get over it. I'm tired of hearing white folks crying I'm tired of hearing white folks say, let's just wait for the evidence. I'm tired of hearing white folks say, you have it better now than, or, than uh, it was in the past. I'm tired of hearing white folks explain to me around my experience. Uh, I'm tired of hearing white folks um, being authority on black more of an authority on black folks than black folks are uh especially with art right especially with art especially with art um uh, I'm especially with <laughs> art um I'm tired of white folks not acting like they down but not having enough stamina to stick with it I'm tired of white folks pulling out their white card or their black card to prove that they down. Um, I'm tired of white women acting like they don't benefit from white body supremacy. I'm tired of white women acting like that they weren't part of the hierarchy on plantations and that they were vicious towards black women. Um, I'm tired of liberal White folks saying and acting like there are, there's nothing else that needs to be done for them because they practice yoga and um, work with little black kids in Minneapolis public schools. Uh, I'm tired of black people being murdered unarmed and white bodies being taken alive after they've murdered people that I'm just I'm uh, I'm tired of seeing that piece right a black man is walking away with his hands up with no weapon or a black woman ends up mysteriously butt naked and dead right with no weapon but a guy can go up in a school and wipe out the school and he's taken alive um, a guy can go wipe out a church and he's taken a lie that don't make sense to me so I'm tired of that
1: so thanks for sharing that mm-hmm. what art are you currently taking in that gives you energy and inspiration to keep you going
2: so I got this book of the artist who did all of the artwork of, uh, of the Black Panther uh uh, not the movie, the Black Panther movement, uh, mm-hmm. Black Panther Party. Uh, and I had it for a while, and I hadn't looked at it, and I started looking at it that again. Um, and uh, s- s- uh, that, um, ch- uh, uh, Childish Gambino, um, and... Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, there, the, the 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 collaborative that we did with uh, with me and Shaka did with all of the artists. I'm really inspired by the music that the artists are doing on their own now.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I've heard a couple sets. Like if you you get listen, you get a chance to listen to New Lioness. If y'all going to go to Soundset, uh, you're gonna get a chance to listen to some of uh, Lioness's new stuff, mm-hmm. dude. I play
0: ball with uh with them uh, yeah. Shaka on yeah. Saturdays. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah. You gotta listen to her new stuff. Yeah. She putting in work. It's just so emotional. It's so emotional, and that's the, so so that's who I'm inspired by right now. A lot of the local people. Awesome. Yeah. What do you want listeners to know? That they should get my book and they should they should read it with other people and they should commit to a year of studying with each other and developing culture and developing language and developing and holding each other accountable and pushing each other and dealing with their own stamina and and I'm saying this specifically to white people and, um, and you don't get to opt out.
0: Yeah, my grandmother's hands, I'm not kidding you, everyone's reading this book right now. <laughs> and it coincides with a larger, awesome collaborative project. Um, like you said take it in for a year at mm-hmm. least mm-hmm. it's a discu- the book isn't just a book it's a discussion mm-hmm. um, on the website resma.com com, you have another piece of this whole project, which is called Reckoning, which is an, was an exhibit at Shout Out to Public Functionary yes, the yes, Gallery yes. in Northeast yes. Minneapolis. Public you Functionary can see, Stand Up! <laughs> you can see that, that that evening where they showcase that art mm-hmm. from all these amazing Minnesotan artists and mm-hmm. other artists. Um, so, resma.com, R E S M A com to see those photos from that exhibit and Dismembered and Unarmed, the compilation album will be out. June fifteenth. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned for that. Mm-hmm. Thanks for thank being you. on the show. Thank uh, you, brother. Resma, we can't thank you we, so
1: much.
0: Okay, everybody, keep up with all the work. Yes, right And uh, keep listening, uh, Resma. We just we're honored. Thank you, brother.
1: Thank you, Resma.
0: Thank you, Resma. Everyone, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I hope you go back and listen to it. We always do, um, and we just again always appreciate that you're listening in. You know, interviews like these and every artist we talk to is uh, reasons that we're motivated to really keep going with this season after season, hopefully, and continue to give you good content, good interviews, good conversations. And uh, we always appreciate your feedback. So if you want to talk to us, you can hit us up on our email at Weapon of Choice Fans at gmail.com. That's Weapon of Choice Fans at gmail.com and we're on instagram at weapon of choice podcast we're on facebook at weapon of choice podcast and even twitter at weapon choice pod however you want to reach out to us we'd uh, love to hear from you and uh, what's you know motivating you as well we also got to ask you as always
1: what art are you taking in that's motivating you to keep going that's inspiring you maybe to be creating your own art you send those answers to our email. We'd love to hear from you. And you know, Tommy, I just to give all of our listeners a little insight into this show. Um, I think, you know, this interview with Resma, all of our interviews. I always find myself while you and I are in the room, there is a a beautiful, incredible energy that um, that I just feel so lucky to, you know, be to be in the room with as we're going through and we're, um, these artists are graciously answering our questions, are cluing us into their process, their, um, you know, places they've been, things that they've seen, um, f- you know, feelings they've felt. I just feel so, um, humbled to be, to be in that room and working alongside you. Um, and you know, this interview, it was just so special to be sitting there and, uh, for Resma to give us his time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I love working with you. I love, you know, memories are very important to me. I cherish I cherish memories. And uh, each one of these interviews and talking to these artists is quite memorable for me. And I'm honored to be talking to them and doing it with you. And just my memory going back to when we first met and I was watching some pretty obscure TV show and you just happened to be walking by me. Never seen me. We never met. What show was I watching? The Fall. The Fall. Yeah. The Fall, like the Netflix British show. And uh, and then you just, you know, you say, hey, man. And we just chatted. And from there, we've, we've made films. We've made podcasts. We're making more. So everybody stay tuned. We're going to give you all we got. And last but not least, I want to mention a couple of things. If you are in the Twin Cities, if you're coming to the Twin Cities or if you can shoot over to the Twin Cities, the uh, Minneapolis Institute of Art is presenting an awesome exhibition it's gonna be on June 15th at the MIA, also known as the Minneapolis Institute of Art, and it will be presenting artwork created in response to the fatal shooting of Philando Castile. The exhibition will be titled, Art and Healing in the Moment, and it will display 15 works, including painting, sculpture, video, posters, and textiles by Twin Cities artists in response to the fatal shooting of Philando, I just gotta take a deep breath because it's kind of taking me back a little bit Um, I drive by pretty much every day um, with that murder where Philando Castile was murdered by the police um, before the world's eyes so uh, yeah it'll include a special, very special talk great conversations uh, those including Brian Stevenson and y'all know who that is Executive Director of Equal Justice Initiative. And big shout out to Valerie Castile, the mother of Philando, who has received a ton, of ton of love pouring in from all over the world and has kept her still and strength and love for community to be involved in the events like these coming together again on June 15th at the MIA. Um, a lot of artists are going to be there uh, contributing to the day in the evening and we hope that everyone can get out there Sarah White who's been on the show uh, one of her pieces Raising Black Hope that she made it last year is going to be on display and it is a amazing heartfelt black magic black girl magic beautiful wonderful um, display
1: that uh, she created and um, hope you all can come down and witness this day we'll be there and we, we you know if you see Tommy or I uh, you know say hi say hello stop by chat with us we'd love to talk to you so to play us out is processions from the dismembered and unarmed album that resma produced on this track we have metasota i self divine afroquish and alicia steel and it's produced by greg grease here it is everybody take care
4: Shirt, uh. Heard the bad news, left me confused, dumb. Got my black shoes, got my black suit, on uh. Tribute tattoos, R. I. P. Shirt, on uh.
3: Heard the bad news, left me confused, dumb. Sessions. Mothers clutching casket handles Dignified in shambles Numb in pain, no answers The result of deadly force abuse By fools with badges White supremacists with mental illness And mega-privilege Can't explain the pain Galaxy await. My hood displays the love I foster rage and hate Justice is overdue And I can hardly wait My people know the truth We speak it every day Politicians, these cowards deliver fake flowers. Helicopters, they hover. Big brother, state power. Bullets flowing endless. Victims, mainly defenseless. Not the aggressively reckless. police Enforce suppression. or life meaningless. Fuck it now, get tomorrow. Deepest sorrow, my soul hollow. No role models. Cointel did them well. May they rot in hell. They've been. And all the monsters we develop sales
4: Got my black shoes, got my black suit on uh. Tribute tattoos, RIP shirt on uh. Heard the bad news, left me confused, dumb Got my black shoes, got my black suit on uh. Tribute tattoos, R.I.P. shirt on uh. Heard the bad news. Dumb. Got bodied by 12, then carried by 12 men All cried their tears when no one was near them Black life is in season, we grieving this eve. Then Abusing the rules and it happens too frequent Eulogy while in your youth is nothing new to me Even with the proper proof immune to scrutiny apparently my destiny is die from weaponry. We pouring out bottles. I bought extra Hennessy. No therapy gon' give a nigga longevity. A rarity is making past age seventy. Long as melodies play, we gon' stay heavenly. Soon as we leave this space, it might get deadly. Hungry on that power struggle, quick to bring the trouble Scare the youngins where he get it. scuffle Must be slavery, muscle run up on you, leave you late in puddles Mother's left to wonder in the moments Notice life can turn to shambles, dreams will crumble Got my black shoes, got my black suit, uh Tribute tattoos, R.I.P. shirt, on uh. Heard the bad news, left me confused, dumb Shoes, got my black suit on uh, Tribute tattoos, RIP shirt on uh, Heard the bad news, left me confused, dumb.